When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, today is a very special podcast. I'm at Bearwood with the head of operations of Redden Football Club, Mark Bowen. How are you doing, Mark? I'm very good, thanks, Paul. Very good. Yes. Uh, first of all, I'd like to ask, are you going to put yourself into the race to be the next Prime Minister? Because everyone <laughs> appears to be having a go, don't they, Mark? Well, funny enough, Paul said to me yesterday when the news was breaking, he says, oh, obviously tongue-in-cheek, he said, shall I, shall I go for that one, that, that job? And I said, well, I'll tell you one thing, she's probably got less problems on her plate than you've got at the moment, Paul. So, and he laughed. So, um, no, listen, it, it's, I think it's, at the moment, it's, uh, it seems to be in a, a very uh, strange position, doesn't it, the politics in this country? But uh, we're not here to talk about politics, Paul. So I've enough <laughs> no. my plate talking about football and, and uh, managing Reading Football Club. No, totally. It's um, a situation when he came back to the club in May of this year to take over as uh, head of operations. What actually was that it changed your mind to come back and do that role? Because you'd done it previously, had a role quite similar to that. Yeah. I think um, when, I, when I was the manager last time around and things, we finished off the season and things, um, you know, you start preparing, obviously, uh, for the following season. So my mindset was on being a coach, being a manager. And I'd waited, not waited, because I'd, I'd opportunities in the past when working for 18 years with Mark Hughes and Steve Bruce before that. So I had opportunities to go back into mat to go into management, and I'd stayed loyal to the people who I was working with there. But obviously, after that amount of time, I sort of really thought, well, I, you know, before before I retire, I'd like to dip my toe in the water and see what it was like. And I really enjoyed my time here as a manager. And with that in mind, I was focusing on the the, the season. It was there was. Uh, up and coming and then it was put to me about going back to um, by the owner and 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 the, the ownership let's say about going back into the role as sport director and I guess Paul I wasn't at that time I wasn't ready for that because I'd still my my focus I wanted to be a manager and a coach but then and so when I went back into it for the for the very short period you know I quickly just say well this isn't for me uh, consequently um I uh, came away from it at about nearly 18 months, let's say, 
of being out of that side of the game. Um, I'd, uh, I know people say this a lot, but a, a few offers, but most of them, if not all of them, were uh, from abroad. Now, um, in that period, I became a granddad, and my daughter had twins, so I wasn't really, you know, spoke spoke to my, my wife and that, and um, wasn't really thinking about uh, going abroad or anything. We needed to be back here, wanted to see the, the, the grandkids, if you like, the, the, the initial stages, if you like, of, of them being born. And uh, so I turned down opportunities to go abroad. And you, you wait in, I wouldn't say wait impatiently, but I was applying for one or two things and let's see what comes up. Um, so I had that period of time and then I went back and I was invited to go back in at uh, AFC Wimbledon as uh, head coach manager, which I did for, for a month and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, because basically, I think with the, with the club there at Wimbledon, it was... I enjoyed working for the people there. You know, it, it's a very, very unique club, Wimbledon. And, you know, everybody knows the history of where they've been, where they've come from, to get back where they are. And I felt a real, let's say, if you want a better phrase, real love there. You know, amongst, amongst the people running it, they really want to do a job. And I, I enjoyed my time there. It didn't work out in terms of the way, I think we certainly had improved any performances, but didn't do enough to actually stay in, in, the, in League One. But at the back end of there, I was talking to them again about <clears throat> being the manager for this season. Uh, and with, with, like I just said to you, with that in mind, I, you know, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll give it a go. And it was at that time that I was approached to come back in this capacity at Reading. And I think, to answer, it's a long answer I've given you, but in answer to your question, I think I was ready then. You know, it wasn't so, I wasn't so, I sort of made peace with myself, if you like, with thinking, well, okay, if another opportunity comes up like that again, especially, obviously, back at this club, I'd be a fool to turn it down. So, um yeah, I, th I think I was more ready to step into this different role, which is, believe me, it's a vastly different role than than I was beforehand. I was still, a, you know, a bit, a bit raw with it all, and uh, but I'd made my peace. And people said to me now, even like, well, you know, would you want to go? Believe me, I've had one or two phone calls since. Would you want to go back in? And I'm, my answer has been no. You know, it's been difficult. It's been a challenge. It's been a totally new role for me, but one that, believe me, it's I love it. It's fantastic. Because, and it probably helped because I knew the club, knew the people, you know, in the in the building, in the training ground, so that certainly helps. But it's yeah, it's been a fascinating insight or start to the job, and one that I think I can um, I can bring some some value to it, and I enjoy I enjoy coming in every day, and I haven't even missed. You know, I said to Paul in, see, blessing Paul has said like you know come out in the training ground sometimes and watch training I've almost made a decision myself no I don't need to be out there you know I don't I say I don't want to be out there but I don't need to be out there you know the manager gets on with preparing the team I will say compromise myself a little bit because maybe in the future I think maybe it's important that I do maybe look at the odd session because you can get a view of players and how they are performing what their mental state is and all things like that but but no, I've tried purposely to stay away from it, and I haven't missed it. I thought I would. I thought I'd miss, you know, going out on the grass and seeing, seeing being around the the, the banter as they call it, the players. And but I haven't missed it at all, probably because I've been so busy <laughs> in the building itself. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, on day one of arriving at the club, coming back to it, the challenge must have been immense because the amount yeah. of players we had in contract were just horrifically low. Yeah, I remember. I remember I walked into the the training ground because don't forget this. We it's, if I go drift aside I mean from from the training on itself we have got uh, just a special such a special facility here that I mean the owners put a lot of money into 
Um, and it's it's I would I would class it as probably better than anything in the championship, and I, I include the likes of Norwich and whatever in that. You know, clubs who've come down from the the Premier League, and comparable to any in, in the Premier League, it's just a fabulous place for anybody. Whether you're working in the building or whether you're a player, it's a fabulous place to actually come and work, and, and you know, and get up in the morning and think, well, I'm coming into this place. And um, you know, when I came in, the first day. <laughs> I walked into the office and yeah, you look around, okay, this is it. And uh, Sue, uh, the club secretary, came in and we were talking and said, excuse me, said something along the lines of, well, I said, where are we with the squad? She said, well, 35 players pulled the jersey on last year. Oh, my, 35 players, wow. So, well, you know, one or two may have played one game or 20 minutes in, in the League Cup or whatever, but actually 35 players walked onto the pitch for Reading. And at the moment, 27 of them are either out of contract or have left the club or gone back to, you know, loan players gone back to their club. Right, OK. <laughs> and, and, and in a nutshell, we had eight players, five of which were senior players, three of which were younger players. And we were embroiled in this, in this uh, embargo situation with the Football League as well. So there, <laughs> right in front of me, was the, the task ahead. So, um, yeah, I did sort of sit back in the chair for a minute or so and smile to myself and think, well... OK, let's get on with it from here. And uh, as I say, it's been enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look at the signings that have come in. Most of them have had a positive impact. They're definitely, the, the mm -hmm. players that have come in, I think they've, not just on the pitch, it feels to me like they're having an impact in the changing room as well. Yeah. And it was, I'm, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm really pleased about, Paul, is the, let's say, the collaboration myself and sat down with, with, with the manager, with Paul, what type of player he'd like, first of all, which way he wants to play, he'd like to play. And throughout that process, you know, we're bouncing off each other. He'd come to me who players he thought he might be available. And obviously, leave it to me to try and find out, you know, the, the financial side of that. Sometimes I'd be bringing players to him that I thought might work for us. And we discussed that. So it, it was a good understanding between us. But um, I think people, for people to understand even now, and people maybe will talk about it later on, you know, the, the people go on to me sometimes about the injury, injury situation at the club. and. I fully understand that, but there's over the last probably well certainly this year let's say there's there's been I think there's reasons for it and maybe last year as well where you got to understand as well the so going back what I just said there the let's just say the phrase I use is look if you look at the shop windows we were looking at because of the embargo situation and where we were we were looking at really a shop window of players maybe thirty plus. Um, who've cut out a contract, who are looking for clubs, or maybe, and I, I don't see this in, in any way detriment to them, but maybe are coming to a little bit the twilight of their career. That's not to say they can't have an effect and they're not fit enough, if you like, but, you know, they're, they're 30 plus. So we had that shop window, and then our other shop window maybe was players who are either on loan, young players on loan, or players who have been, let's say, um, um, surplus requirements at their clubs at that time. So that one, what I say, probably from, let's say, 24, 25, 6, 7, 8, where you probably class it as players in their prime, and I'm not just talking mentally, fitness-wise as well, we really weren't or couldn't look into those areas. And that then brings its, you know, its problems later on. And I'm sure, again, those the players you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's harder, sometimes, not all the time, it's harder... To go and bang out Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, you know, week after week when you're 30, 32, 33, 34, 35, you know, you will have problems, you will have more stiffness, you will have, you know, 
little niggles that, that happen which, which maybe rule you out of the next game which compounds it if, if all of a sudden the manager you know, hasn't got a big squad so you haven't to use these players but even he knows even the player knows well I could do a little rest here but sorry you can't get one guys you've got to go again so I hope that answers a little bit of your question at the start it was you know, we, we quickly had to realise where we were shopping and uh, get about our business and I must say you know the squad I think we're pretty, pretty pleased with, with the, the squad the layout of the squad and the, the the individuals we've brought in, um, as I say, a lot of lot of hard work done, a lot of favours <laughs> pulled in over the years from different people I know in football to get these players in. But we are where we are, and we think we, if nothing else, we are, we are as competitive as as we can possibly be. Yeah, that's all the thing I was asking for the start of the season myself as a fan. I can't speak for anyone else. Was to be competitive because mm-hmm. obviously being under the EFL embargo causes major issues, mm-hmm. um, which are unimaginable for most yeah. teams because of that situation are we more vulnerable in January because of the lone players and how we've had to get them in well most definitely you, we can't hide from the fact that you know we've brought players in on on prom, uh, contractual promises on verbal promises that you know come in and and give it your best for us and we know we can't give you this or give you that or what you might expect somewhere else but generally saying to them well, look you can train every day look at a lovely stadium we've got We've got a manager that can relate to you, um, but we have we've had to, and I won't go into name names, but we've had to give certain some players guarantees, if you like, that, that in January, if something if they feel something better comes up, they're gone. You know, and, and it's not ideal. We know that, but you know, for me, it was massively important that we we before the season started, we get a really competitive squad in for now, and if it brings problems in January and at the end of the season. Well, that's where we've got to be. You know, we've we've just got to take that on the chin and and work around it. And that's why, you know, I brought in um, uh, lucky to bring in uh, Brian Carey uh, as uh, our uh, director of recruitment. And Brian's history, he had six years as head of recruitment at Tottenham Hotspur. Brian had three or four Premier League sides who were courting him, trying to get him to go to them. I met, I've known Brian a few years anyway, but I met him. And we talked about our both, you know, our shared, if you like, vision, a plan, strategy, where we think a club, you know, can be successful and go ahead. And um, again, brought him to the training ground and said, "Look, what we've got here," which you know really impressed him. And again, sort of said, "Well, you know, we have got you, you hypothetically a blank sheet of paper, you, you know, to try and build something and take it forward." And and um, I luckily managed to convince him to. So it was hat in the ring, and again, he was a major part of what everything we did in building that squad in pre-season. Yeah, I mean, one of the major issues, I think, before previously, before you came in, was recruitment. It seemed to be structured around too many people. I will mention the name, Keir Jarachan, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be focused around yeah. that. How was the condition of the recruitment? Did we have different scouting set works? Did we have analysts? Was that all there when you came in, or we did had, it have to be built? Mm, we had, um, again, the department, you can imagine, wasn't... Wasn't um, there's not a lot of depth the department said. I think we had two guys who worked here. Um, I guess the best way to describe it was this: that that you can see the recruitment has been there's been some good players recruited in, in in over the past few years. There's been some average ones. There's players that just didn't fit, um, and a lot maybe a lot of that had come through, not just one individual, two individuals, but but I think it, a lot of it was maybe agent driven. 
but and maybe because of that, um, when we came into the situation and we were looking at, well, when Brian Carey came in and was maybe looking at um, what database have we got on players, what, you know, what, what lists have we got, how was it structured, there was very little here. Now, on the one hand, you can possibly say, well, okay, it was, you know, it should have been better, but at the same time, maybe, just maybe the guys who were here before were a little bit disenfranchised, thinking, well, you know, is it worth, you know, it doesn't excuse it, but was it worth us doing this, that and the other if nobody's listening to us or there's no real structure or strategy in place for it? So, you know, I'm certainly not going to sit here and point the finger at any, any individual, but... I think it was a case of that, you know, it really needed a focus, like all you know, better clubs where they run have got a focus on what we're doing, what's our plan, and, and get some, how can I say, just get a base and a groundwork and a foundation of, you know, where, where are we instead of being almost like a scattergun approach. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to move away from. And I feel totally that that is happening now. We seem to have a, a plan. And obviously, one of your kind of objectives um, must be to come into <clears> the club and create an identity and a culture at the club. How do you see it progressing, hopefully, over the next two or three years, once we've come out of the embargo, obviously? Well, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, if you get the right people in and then you empower them in their positions, you know, and I, looking at Brian Carey's situation, the one thing I did say to Brian was that, look, Brian, you know, you come to the club, are you not going to have me looking over your shoulder every five minutes? Go and, go and structure, build your own department and, and run it the way you want to because, you know, I'm bringing you in here because I've heard good things about, you know, seeing what you've done before. My dad did do a lot of homework, spoke a lot of people about Brian, his character and whatever. So once you make that decision to do it and you bring them in, what, why... Why be constantly watching over them and, and asking them what they're doing? You know, we've discussed things how we wanted to go on that side of things, and then you just got to empower them to leave them get on with it. And it's not just that; it's the media department. It's you know, Tim at commercial. You know, although I guess I I'm supposed to be like you know covering the commercial department. I don't know anything about the commercial department. So we've got a good guy doing it, Tim, and you just got to basically, you know, I'm here for him, give him all the help I can, and and. And let him get on with it, you know. And that's that's been the philosophy. Try and make sure we've got the right people in place that we can um, drive it forward. I, I always use this phrase that when I came, when I came back in and people said, "Well, you know, running a football club, um, what's you know, what have you got in terms of on your CV to say you can do that job?" And I guess yeah, probably like a lot a lot of people who first start doing it, they've got a lot 
to, to say they can do it. Other than the fact I will say that, you know, I've been coaching at the top level for 20 years. So, you know, in the Premier League for 18 of them. So I know what an elite football environment looks like. You know, I know, how, I was going to say, I know how it's run. I don't know, how, at the time I came in, I don't know how it's run, but I know you get a feeling for what an elite winning environment looks like. So you try to bring those traits of professionalism, of, of attention to detail. Managers and coaches talk about it a lot, of course, with their squads and with their players. But if we can get that in, in the other side of, of the club as well, in, this, in the building itself, of being professional, and we do, a, you know, really concentrating on those little things that make the difference for, for the whole club, then, then it, it's got to drive us forward. It can only drive us forward. Yeah, totally. Attention to detail. And you talk about your experience of playing at the top level. It's 29 years ago this week that you played for Norwich against Bayern Munich and you oh, beat yeah. them. Oh, is it this week? Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Okay. So, the only well, lot, lot of hair falling out since St. Paul, I'm afraid. Lot of <laughs> well, stress and I know how that bridge. feels, Mark. I know how that feels. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I just think you're, obviously you've got a relationship with the owner. He is the only person you report to, mm-hmm. isn't he, Mark? Yeah. And um, how do you feel that kind of the owner? relationship is with a club now I'm sat here in this amazing training mm-hmm. ground that's pretty evident he's put a hell of a lot of money yeah. into this club yeah. I think as fans we just want to see that directed in the right way do you feel that he's maybe realised that he needs to let other people maybe take more football decisions but he's still the head of it obviously um, I think so I think so because I can only you know say to the fans that you know in the process have brought me here Back into the club, I went to meet Mr. Dye, and you know he talked about having a, a three-year plan straight away. Which right, okay, you know it's like you know. And at the end of the conversation, he 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 gave me a, a, a like a cuddle and, and said, you know, a bear hug, wherever you want to call it, and said, well, look, you know, Mark, you've got three years. Go and go and put something down for us. Put, go and put a culture down. Go and put a footprint down for us. You know, and 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 you know. We talked about his his his, um, his feelings for the club, where he wanted to go over this time, and I was very much aware of that. There seemed to be, from maybe two years ago, if you like, there seemed to be a lot more, let's say, calmness there. So that that was impressive in terms of the, the messages that, that I see coming through. I want to say messages. It is genuinely hard. You can imagine he doesn't, you know. He's, he's not somebody who's in the country all the time. He's back and forth. He's got other businesses as well. And, and yes, he wants success, like every owner does. And he's, you know, he's put a hell of a lot of money in up till now without a lot of success. Mm. But I think I use that word, trust. Managers use it a lot with their squad and their players as individuals and whatever. And I just felt there was, you know, he's, he's put a lot of trust in me. You know, he's not going to be. Jamie doesn't, you know... The only type of conversation I have with him is when I me- I talk to him or want to message him or, or whatever, you know, get you know through to him through his interpreters and and the people around him, and but he, I, I, you know very rarely it's coming the other way. So as I feel as, of course he's passionate about it and you know he goes to as many games as he can, and uh, but there's a, a real element of trust there now to say well okay if you like you're the, you're the man I've chosen come and do it, get on with it Mark you know. So I owe him a lot for that, and we'll keep striving to, again, try and repay some of the, to him, some of the money he's put in. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's no doubt the money's there. I don't have any doubts on that. No, 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 because he's a successful man in his own right, and he's, 
he's put a lot of time, effort and, and finance into the club as well. So my understanding is he's, he's not in any way, shape or form thinking of walking away from it because I think taking the football side away things from it, if it's strictly a business, he wants to try and, you know, keep having some seeing some payback for the for the money he's put in. So yeah. Yeah, well, it's exciting to hear that because if we're going to move in the right direction as a whole club, mm-hmm. that feels we're far more likely to have success than the previous time before because it just felt so kind of, let's get this player in, let's get that player mm-hmm. in. Uh, you, you can't really run a club without a long-term structure and a three-year plan sounds ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I wouldn't, I, personally, I wouldn't like us to go back to those days of just, again, I call it the scattergun, just, you know, just, okay, just because a player might have a, a profile, let's say, let's go and get him. It's got to be in, in in a real, if you like, um, connection with the manager, what he wants as well, and not putting us in a situation whereby such under such maybe disparity in, in what players are earning within the squad. You really want that, you know, a squad of players to be all round about. Yes, you've got younger ones and more senior ones and ones that, you know, obviously are going to demand more and, and deserve more. Wages more more pay, but uh, you don't. I think in the past there's probably been a huge disparity between the two, and that can't be helpful for a club anyway. No, no, totally. You talk about contracts, and we've seen some players leave the club for fees that are unbelievably low. And the, mm-hmm. the obvious example is Michael Elise. Mm-hmm. He's a player that's beginning to really light up the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Obviously, do we have a sell-on clause with um, Michael Elise? Um, no, not in not in the second phase of it. I think we have done. Um, no, no, it's not. Sorry, we, we don't. It, he's gone there. He had a buyout clause within his contract, and he's gone there now. And I suppose looking back on the Michael, it, again, it, it's difficult for me to point fingers because back in the you know when he did sign his contract, I would suggest that, that the, the buyout clause was way too low. But I'm not privy to yeah. the conversations that were had with his agent and you know and, and the player and his family himself to try him initially to sign that initial contract he had to stay at the club. But you'd like to think that if it was done in a different way, that the club would have been covered a lot more for such a precocious talent that we had here. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, in your position, you're the continuity man, aren't you now? Mm. Whether a magic comes in and changes, that's football, isn't mm. it? It happens. Yeah. You've got to create the kind of style of football that you'd ideally like to see at the club with the continuity with the manager. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of like see Reading Football Club as a style of play? I think my my belief is you've got to be just as, as a club really. You've got to be pragmatic. I think if you if if everybody, I would say most people would like their team, their club, to be regarded as oh uh, fa- fabulously. You know, they, they play like the proverbial Barcelona or Brazil. You know, we are this and we are that. But it doesn't always work. I think you've got to be able to adapt to different ways of playing on the pitch. And I actually like coaches, managers who can and will do that, you know. I think it's very dangerous if any to fall into a trap of saying, well, we want to be regarded as this type of club. Because, you know, for example, if you say, well, OK, we're, we're only going to be thought of, we're going to be thought of as a club that pays pure football you know well where we are now with all due respect we're in an embargo if, where are you going to get these pure footballing players to, to match that style of play and it's dangerous to keep pursuing that if then it doesn't produce you know the, the, maybe the quality of those players doesn't produce the results on the pitch 
and you end up losing games, getting relegated. So you've got to be pragmatic in your approach anyway. I, I just guess, to, to, to put in a, a nutshell, if you said where would I, would I like the club to be thought of, I would just say as you'd just like to be thought of as a, as a well-run, well-run professional setup who do the right things. And I guess people listen to this, would, well, of course you do, but believe me, there's a lot of clubs out there that when you talk to people on the grapevine, people go, oh, my God, <laughs> we don't know what's happening there and who's running that place. And, you know, in football circles, if you like, probably a lot of fans in, 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 in pubs up and down the country say the same thing. So I'd like, and you never go, I don't think you're going you're gonna to achieve that, that, let's say, that nirvana of everybody saying perfect things about you. But in general, you'd want people to be looking at Reading and thinking, well, you know, yeah, there's a club that that is, is well run, is doing the right things and results show on the pitch because of that. Yeah, I mean, I think results on the pitch, I know we've lost the last three games as we're speaking right now, but I think we're ahead of target of where we want to be yeah. for this one season mm. alone. Yeah, you do, listen, everybody concentrates, which they have to, on your own setup and your own thing and, you know, speak to Paul every day and of course the last three games... Yeah, three in a row you've lost and you start thinking, wow, you know, what could we have won this? Should we have won that? What could have been done different? And then you start then looking. I reminded Paul the other day, well, don't forget, Norwich have lost the last three games. You know, and I thought Norwich would probably go running away with this league table. So if a Norwich can lose three in a trot, why can't Reading? And, you know, you look at this league and it'll be like this through the season, I'm convinced. If you go back three or four weeks ago, Sheffield United give us a little bit of a lesson at their place and you're thinking well wow they're going to be they're going to be right up there all the way through the season and all of a sudden they've dropped from top to about fifth or sixth Blackburn Rovers after we beat them they went on a run which dropped them to about eighth or ninth in the table and you're thinking well you know they, they, they've shot themselves in the foot they, and, and all of a sudden bang they are flying this so I think I'd like to think that the the top if you looked at that table now or maybe the top let's say top half of the table I actually think this year it, it's going to go almost from month to month where teams are going to be just up and down the final and every team is capable of going to win three or four in a trot. Every team, a la Norwich, Reading is keep, capable of losing three or four in a trot. Um, I think it just revolves, Paul, around obviously the, 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 the quality on the pitch. So it revolves around injuries. I genuinely believe after all these years in the game as, as a coach, it revolves on refereeing decisions. You can you can go th- as fans know. I'm sure you can go three or four games where you every game you're coming off and thinking, "Wow, what happened there? Those decisions, where did those come from?" The referee and they genuinely cost you points through the season. Injuries as well. You know, you talk. I think it was last year, Luton Town did fantastic in this league, got to the playoffs, and everybody looks and thinks, "Wow!" And, and by the way, I got a huge admiration for their manager. He's a Welshman as well, you know, but no, I've got a huge admiration for him. But I think, I think somebody was telling me they, that they, they used about 16, 17 players through the season. That was it, you know. Now, people could say, was that good planning? It may be, it may be good planning, maybe a bit of luck, it may be whatever factors. But if you can get through a season by using a certain quarter of players, meaning let's say that most weeks you've, you've got, let's say, eight, seven, eight players, most weeks they're in your team. Right through the season, and in two, you know, you're tweaking it with two or three names. And I looked at their season last year, same as Huddersfield. They had majority of their squad right the way through who um, who were available, and that's that's a, that's a huge help.
Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I'd like to think that at some point we'll be pushing up there at the top of the table. I mean, we're not that far off it right mm. now, which is yeah. amazing, I think, myself. Mm. But I think on a consistent basis, like if you look at a club like Brentford, if you want to get yourself into the Premier League, you can't just have one good season. No. Because then all of a sudden you end up in a very bad place. Yeah. And you can go for a situation like Nottingham Forest and spend <coughs> reportedly 200 million. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's true or not. But that creates its own problems by bringing in 20 new players. That's, I don't know how you manage that. That's very tricky. I've had, I've had experience of doing that. We, um, when I was with Mark Hughes, we, we went into Queen's Park Rangers at Christmas one year. With the sole remit of you know whatever you do, please keep us in the Premier League. We managed to achieve that, albeit uh, losing on that uh, eventful day against Manchester City when they won the league the first time. Um, but then, and this is only my take on it, the season finished, and we had an owner who had many, they say, wealthy backers and friends. And before you know it, through pre-season, you know they'd signed a load of players that we didn't didn't want, didn't think would fit into our system. And it, again, it was a real strange situation. Players coming in that we told they were flying in and the manager didn't even know they were, who the player was or why he was flying in. And anyway, without going into too much detail of that, we, we ended up start the season with a squad that we we didn't really uh, believe was, was ours or and, and the way we wanted to play. And then two months later, you're sacked because the team had a really bad start of the season. But too many players coming in that didn't really fit the manager's philosophy and the way he wanted to play. Yeah, no, no, totally. Thanks a lot for this uh, doing part one of this, Mark. Uh, we're now going to move on to part two in a moment. So uh, click on that one if you want to hear it. Thanks. Pause for a second. Bye.